literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to Austin Found. We appreciate you tuning in. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. And we have a very cool guest here that, that Michael's had a relationship with for some time. Journalistic uh, relationship, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Point of clarity there. But uh, yeah, you've spent many years talking to this gentleman, and, and we're excited to have him here as a guest. Our guest is Lonnie Lemon. Let's start with one thing. The first thing I think about you from some of the conversations with Michael. And I, when I go visit my extended family in Kansas, and it's a family reunion, there's a few hundred people. And in my mind, that was big. That was always a big family. <laughs> it is nothing compared to your family reunions with the Lemons and the Estradas, yeah. which roughly today is how many people? You know, we're, we're intermarried and intertwined, but more than anything, we're just, you know, we're close-knit. On the Limon side, on the Limon side, we're probably, and uh, we have somebody who keeps track of the exact number, but it's somewhere <laughs> That's a around, full-time job. It's either thirty two <laughs> or 3,400 people in Austin. We have some that have left, not too many. And, and keep in mind that that grows when someone gets married, you mm-hmm. know, their husband or wife becomes part of the family. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's more than just blood. And then on the Estrada side, we're smaller, but, uh, you know, my grandpa had a, a business in East Austin that is still being run by his son. He's now the new owner. Uh, Estrada Cleaners. And so, you know, we know a lot of people, but our family is not that big on the Estrada side. It's, it's a decent size. I mean, it's probably bigger than most families, but not big as, as not as big as the Limon side. How did your extended family end up in Austin? On the Limon side, my great grandfather and great grandmother came here from San Luis Potosí, Mexico. It's more in Northern Mexico, kind of Northern central. And, um, when they came here and, you know, I had to ask questions of different family members, but they came here at a time in 1889. And I think they came at a time when the railway lines would come from central Mexico all the way up, probably even up to Kansas, transporting goods and products, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it could be cattle, it could be grains, mostly grains that they would grow in San Luis Potosí. So I think a lot of the family, or at least those early members of the family and some of their relatives, because I know my great-grandfather, Jose, came from that part of Mexico with his brother-in-law. And they were 20-something years old. They were born in the late 1860s. So they came to Creedmoor, which is now part of Austin, right off of 183. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, who's Ojeda, she married my grandfather, my grandpa Limon. Her family came in the 1860s to Austin, but they came to, technically not Austin, they came to Lytton Springs. Which just, yeah, on the outskirts. On the outskirts by Lockhart. But now Creedmoor, Lytton Springs are a suburb of Austin. Sub- suburb now. of Austin. <laughs> Did yep. you ever think we'd see that? Not this soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And on my Estrada side, they came, uh, what we've learned is that they came, I guess, through my great-grandfather, through Del Rio, and they knew my Ojeda side of the family, which is really strange, you know, because they're not related. They live near each other, and so they came to Austin, but before that, I think they came to somewhere near the Arizona border of Mexico. And what were most of them coming here to do for work? Honestly, at that time, there was limited work, yeah. and we didn't have factories in Austin So at that time, so they were working Mostly in the fields. You know, um, I know that my Limon side, a lot of the elders worked for the Pfluger family out in Pflugerville. And so, and they would live there. They would go and pick cotton for the Pflugers, stay near, you know, outside, but 
you know, they would stay in where basically the farm workers would stay and they would stay for the week or two weeks or for the entire season and then come back, you know, and somebody had a truck or somebody had a wagon that would bring everybody back. Mm, and that, so. that lasted through your father's generation, right? That did, yeah. My dad and some of his older brothers and sisters, they went up to Michigan, Ohio. My mom's family went to West Texas because they picked cotton. My dad's family would go up to more of the Midwest and pick seasonal crops. I think there was, uh, my cousin Kathy would know, but I think her father, who was the oldest of all the Limons, his name was Matias, I think he was the one that kind of gathered the family and said, okay, we're all going up to Michigan or we're all going up to Ohio, mm-hmm. whatever, to pick cherries, to pick strawberries, to pick whatever. And is, so, is Kathy the genealogist she is. in the family? She is, she is, yeah. <laughs> She's very particular about it. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, because she does a good, great job at she does. You know, keeping it all together. And she's probably one of the few people in the family that knows basically all the pieces of the roots. And she uh, was the one who introduced me to the the name Limonada. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you go all over East Austin, and you everyone would say a Limonada. Yeah, oh, you're part of the Limonada. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny. It's, it's a bunch of us, you know. And it, it, we think it's funny because we think us, our generation. I'm 48. You know, we're like, oh, well, you know. We're part of this thing, but the truth is we're, we're kind of part of a legacy of, I mean, it goes way back. You know, when Kathy was young, she was part of the Limonada from that generation, you know, and she, my dad is kind of similar in age. And then his father was part of his, you know, Limonada group. And then before that, it was a smaller group of the first ones that came here. And th- it was different for them because they were part of a bigger group of people from Mexico that kind of clustered together versus just family. It was families from Mexico that came here and said, well, we're all from the same part. Let's cluster together and help each other. What's it like when someone marries into the limonada? I imagine there's (laughs) a rite of passage that you have to earn some respect, yeah? I think you've already done, (laughs) they they probably already uh, did some of the, uh, some of the battle testing before Way they, before before the they come in. Yeah, yeah. I, I just imagine it would be tough to like, I don't, you know what I mean? Just uh, the, the, the toughest thing is remembering names. Yeah. <laughs> toughest thing is going to a party and never being able to leave because <laughs> nobody wants you to leave, but more importantly, you don't want to leave. You know, you yeah. see all your cousins and friends. Yeah. I think, you know, the other thing, and, and this is probably a, a blessing and a curse, but when you have such a big family, I mean, we can go on a weekly basis and have somebody pass away. And, you know, the whole family comes out to go pay the respects. Uh-huh. And you may have somebody get sick. You may have somebody, I mean, there's good and bad that happens in a big family, but it happens more often because there's more of us. So uh-huh. probability-wise, we feel like, oh, man, there's so much drama. But the truth is, it's just we're just a bunch of us. One of your uncles died recently, and he was very much an activist in, in his neighborhood in, in all of Austin. Johnny, yes. right? Tell us a little bit more about him. Yeah, my Uncle Johnny, I mean, uh, um, I feel fortunate to be able to share some of his story. I say some because I don't know all of it, but I learned a lot more after he passed away. Uh, my Uncle Johnny was kind of always a leader in his own respect in, within our family, even though he was the third from the youngest, but really smart guy. Went to Johnston High School, where I went also. Go Rams. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Uncle Johnny, you know, he was in the band, and he was a leader within the band. He was a leader within the student council, made really good grades. And I guess at the time, you know, it was hard for not a lot of Hispanic kids, even if you had good grades, didn't have the push to go, you know, to UT or wherever. Didn't mean that you couldn't, but you just really didn't know how to do it. And so he took a job with Tracor right out of high school and he retired from Tracor. So he was also seen as somebody who was highly successful, you know, having worked at Tracor for I don't know how many years, 30 something years. 
And it was probably once he retired that he said, I don't want to be bored. And I know what I'm passionate about. And he knew right away he was passionate about helping kids, helping East Austin, helping the elderly, and helping basically people that just didn't always have a voice for themselves. And I think it came probably from his early leadership positions in student council. And and he was always kind of a voice, but a very selfless voice. That's why I saw Michael Johnny. And he did that with our family, too, because he was also the head of our Limon family reunion for a number of years. He was the second person to, uh, I don't know if he was the second, but I think he was the second or third to take it over. And that's like planning a, a wedding every year. You <laughs> I can't know? imagine. We need to hear more about these. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been when, to one. They're when amazing. was the last one? Because we've had a couple years of COVID, and I'm yeah, sure but, that's been hard on the family. But Yeah, before COVID, COVID was in March. It would have been the previous October okay. before COVID started. And so that's, you know, a little over two and a half years ago. And so... Um, so that was the last one we had. You know, we talked about having one during COVID and it would be because it's outdoors. We could be socially distanced. But the truth is, you know, there are people in the family who have conditions that wouldn't allow for that. It would be too much risk to take. Yeah, maybe so, this October. Talk, talk about the yeah. setting for this. <laughs> right. It's not like in it. someone's yard. <laughs> uh, here's where a little storytelling will come in. <laughs> it's, it's at a park that's, I think it's Precinct 1, I think, but it's out off of 969, which is, you know, MLK turns into 969. Mm-hmm. You take it going east, like you're going to Bastrop, but it's closer to Weberville. When you get there, it's a state park, and when you go down into the state park, you literally follow this curvy road, and as you enter the park, it almost dips down a little bit, but you take a curve as you're going. You're like, it's like a little curve on the street. But when you look down, you see all these beautiful pecan trees, and people start setting up Thursday, some Friday morning. doesn't start till Friday. But everyone takes an RV. That didn't used to be the case, but everyone takes an <laughs> RV. Everyone strings up, you know, those lights that you see in people's yards? Yeah. They string up those lights in their camping section. Everybody has not just a barbecue pit or a smoker, but the one you pull behind your truck, you know? Oh, hardcore. Yeah, hardcore. <laughs> um, and we have a pavilion in the middle, which is kind of our central gathering place. We have a family meal. We have a family mass. We do have special guests come out, you know, in many cases, some of them are politicians that will come out, some that aren't running for anything, but just want to come and, you know, kind of chat with the family, et cetera. We don't always invite friends of friends, not because we don't want to, but think about this. If you have a thousand people and you invite three friends, that's 3,000 people, (laughs) you know, actually that's, no, that's actually 4,000, that's actually 4,000, 3,000, you know, 3,000 friends and 1,000 family members. So, (laughs) so we draw the line and we say, look. We're going to have friends show up, and that's great, but we try to keep it family just because of the number and the logistics. You know, the beer companies donate beer. You know, I, I give a lot of credit to my friend Agnes over at uh, Anheuser Busch. Yeah, you know, yeah. Brown Distributing. I mean, yeah, sure. You know, Agnes, and, and uh, there's another guy, Lee, who worked for the Coors Light Company. He always would help us out. And, you know, I mean, all, all, all of our friends, you know, Miller Light, Coors Light, Bud Light, they would say, Tell us what you need, you know, mm-hmm. and because uh, they know that the rest of the year we're going <laughs> to. Spend a crap load of money on beer. Uh, you know. And the liquor companies, too, by the way. Now, one of the original organizers, and I'm not going to remember his name, was a very charismatic man who was a leader in the family. Tell us about him. Yeah. His name was Alejandro or Alex Limon. Alejandro's his name, but uh, Alex is what he went by for some of his friends. So Alex used to own a number of restaurants. So if you go back to the, I'm going to say, the 60s, 60s and 70s, there were two people in our family who were very well known for, for different reasons. Alex was a business owner. He owned a couple of restaurants. One was on Mainer Road and Airport Boulevard, and it was called different things. It was called Alejandro's at his last naming. Before that, it was called La Ronda. La Ronda. Um, he had another place called El Tango, I think, and 
and I can't remember the name of the other restaurants. His daughter would know Tracy, but his restaurants, he had one out off of, I think, Rutland Road off 183. He had that one off of Airport Boulevard, and it was close to the original airport. So he got a lot of people. I mean, even at one point, the guys from U2 came in, and I'll tell you that story in a little bit, oh. and they had drinks there at the bar when they were closed. So he opened it up for them, and that's a whole different story. But he got a lot of interesting guests because he was close to the airport. But Alex was a contemporary of his, his cousin, John Trevino. And John Trevino, was, he was the first Hispanic elected to the Austin City Council. And he was a, a neighborhood organizer. So you had a neighborhood organizer, and then you had a cousin who was a business person at a time when there weren't many people like them, you know, in the community as a whole. I mean, there were people coming up at the time in the 60s, but they were part of a new generation of business leaders and civic leaders. And so um, because they were cousins, they stuck close together. And so Alex would host John, they call him Johnny Trevino. John would call him and say, hey, can we do this event at La Ronda? You know, can we bring all our friends? And, you know, and Alex liked to sing and dance. He was a great dancer and singer. So, you know, he was an entertainer as well as a restaurateur. So, and all of his sisters worked there. Uh, his brothers worked there, you know, his brother Tom, I think. But his sisters were the, were the cooks and the waitresses. So it was a big family deal. And then because it was so close into East Austin, a lot of our family would go there. So you walked in and you're going to see 30 cousins. But Alex was, he was also um, big into the Mexican rodeo, you know, the charreadas. And so, you know, they have uh, different styles of riding horses, especially for the women. And he taught his daughter how to do that. And so, um, you know, we have great pictures with Jake Pickle, Congressman Jake Pickle, on our family street and Alex and his daughter in their charro outfits on top of horses in the middle of this city. And here's Congressman Pickle next to us. I mean, it's a pretty iconic oh, picture, cool. you know. And um, there's, you have a street named after your family, yeah? Yeah. That, Where's it, that? It's in East Austin in the Govalli neighborhood. Okay. It's called Calle Limon, which means, it's Calle Limon Street, which really literally means Limon Street Street. <laughs> you know, Calle Street, so it's really Street Limon Street. But, um, but in Spanish, it's Limon Street. But um, they did that because they couldn't, they couldn't just say Limon Street because there's a Limon Street over in South Austin. That's why. So they named it Calle no, Limon Street. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that either. There's a Limon Street over <laughs> off of a South Fifth. Does, does Siri butcher it? Because Siri says Chicken Street instead of Chicon. <laughs> they say Calle Lyman. Or Cali Lamont. Okay. Cali Lamont. That's the way Siri says it. Okay. But that street used to be called Don Ann. And um, the street was where my, my grandpa and my grandma moved back in the 19, late 60s, I believe. I think it was late 60s they moved to no it might have even been mid 60s they moved to don ann from uh east fifth street they lived near east fifth and pedernales that's where all of our family lived and, and the kind of the first generation and then the second generation started moving to south austin to you know various parts of east austin well my grandfather and grandmother moved actually they moved from fifth street first to francisco street which was by uh, parque saragosa which is off of seventh street in like pleasant valley then from there they moved to Don Ann. And when they moved to Don Ann, they moved into this house that was owned by a guy from Dallas. And the guy that lived in Dallas, is uh, he had his two sons living there, and they were going to UT. Well, my dad was hired to cut their yard once every two weeks or whatever it was. And those guys would you know, pay my dad to go to the store and get them stuff. Well, my dad said they weren't really going to school. What they were doing was they were getting drunk every day. Mm. And so uh, <laughs> I guess their dad got a letter from the University of Texas saying that they were failing their classes. And when he came down and realized that, you know, he asked my dad, he, do my boys go to school? And I was like, well, 
they drink a lot of beer. <laughs> and my dad was a little kid, you know, he's a little kid. And so um, basically took his boys and took them back to Dallas. And he asked my grandma and grandpa, well, actually he asked my dad. He said, where do you, where do you live? He goes, I live in that little house across the street. He said, and there was only a few houses on the street. He said, why don't you ask your mom and dad? He goes, don't you have a bunch of kids? He goes, yeah, we got, a, you know, quite a bit of us. He said, ask your mom and dad if they want to buy this house. So one of my uncles was in the service at the time in the Navy, and he had just come back. So he got a VA loan, and he worked with my grandma and grandpa to purchase the house so that his brothers well, so his brothers could grow up in that house. And your grandmother lived there until? She was, she was almost 104. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and they changed it from Don Ann to Kylie Moon because of Jake Pickle. I want to say mid-'80s because my grandpa died in '86. They had to have been 84, 85, maybe 85, because my grandpa was pretty sick. And Jake Pickle said, you know, you've helped us out so much and your family's helped us out. Um, I want to name the street after you guys. Because at that time, my grandpa and grandma were living there. My uncle Frank was living on the corner. My uncle Paul was living where my grandma and grandpa used to live. My uncle Kanika, they call him, uh, his name is Johnny, but they call him Kanika. He was living across the street. My uncle Johnny, who Michael mentioned, He's San Juan, but they call him Johnny also. <laughs> he owned the property across the street, and uh, I think that was it. So they were all on the street. This little tiny street, they were all family members, or a big chunk of them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Jake Pickle said, let me work on getting this street renamed after you guys. So it was an honor, you know, that he that he bestowed upon my grandpa and our family, and uh, I think it was for a lot of the work that was done way before I was probably born, you know. Uh, this is half-joking, I know, when you tell me this, but... But one of the things that you told me about the, the reunion every year, it's partly so that everybody can get to know each other because, so they don't accidentally yeah. date yeah. a cousin. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> That's a true story. I, mean, I think you're pulling my leg a little bit on no, that. No, 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 no. I mean, that's not the reason, but that's one of the benefits of okay. having the reunion. I, I think, uh, you know, back when, when Austin was a little more segregated, and it was, you know, most of the Hispanics lived in East Austin or parts of South Austin. And so our family was heavily concentrated in East Austin. So what happens is that, you know, you meet other people and you're young. You don't know that they're your cousins. Right. And uh, you're like, oh, that's, that's a pretty girl. That's a good-looking guy. And all of a sudden, you're talking to them at a softball game. And, you know, they say, wait, wait, who's your dad? Oh, it's so-and-so. <laughs> because not everybody has the same last name. Yeah. And so uh, we did find some people that, you know, nothing happened. But... That determined as they were meeting that, hey, you know what? You were actually my third cousin. So, you know, this was a way for us to actually know who all of our cousins were. Gotcha. Now, I noticed you said Pedernales properly when most Austinites just go Pedernales. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of other mispronounced streets in Austin. A ton. ton. (laughs) Which ones drive you the craziest that we we butcher? What's hard is that I grew up in Austin saying – the more anglicized yeah. version of the names. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait a minute. That's not Guadalupe. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, it's Guadalupe. You know? Right, but, right. You know, what happens is that, you know, you go to San Antonio to go eat dinner or visit friends, and they're like, hey, are you getting, you know, if you turn off of Guadalupe and Sarsamora, and I'm like, where? I'm like, oh, Guadalupe. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, oh, I guess we say Guadalupe. But yeah, it's Guadalupe, you know? So I think probably Guadalupe is one of them. I mean, there's some that don't. Manchac. When people just say Manchac, that has to drive you crazy. It doesn't drive me crazy, but, <laughs> but you know, because, again, I grew up here, but yeah. I'm like, so you're doing wait a minute, it too. It's, it's really Menchaca because it's spelled <laughs> with an E, so it's Menchaca, okay? So you got that one. Um, I mean, there's a lot of streets here that are Spanish names. You know, Cesar yeah. Chavez, Cesar Chavez, you know, but most people don't get that too wrong. 
it's probably some of the more you know complicated names you know yeah so um i mean there's a lot of streets out in westlake that are named you know have spanish names you know mm-hmm. a lot from way before people were living there you know a lot of the area had spanish names even yeah you know, so Interesting. You mentioned that politicians might pop into a family reunion. And I was thinking about it. It's like, especially in city politics, your family could swing a whole vote. I, are you, are, is, it, are, is the family very, very political in that regard? Yes. Uh, Encouraged to vote? I, like, yeah. I are think, you unified or no? no? Well, you know, I mean, if we were unified, in, I would say that would consider us being very homogenous. Yeah. I think you will probably find more Democrats than anything else in our family. Uh, upwards of 90% or more. But in terms of who you're going to vote for, if there's one thing that my family is known for is individuality <laughs> and known for having their own voice and being strong about that voice. I'm one of those people. And so, you know, I don't, I think we talk to one another and we say, hey, cuz, who are you going to vote for? You know, in that race or this race. And typically we'll, we'll you know, we'll, we'll be kind of aligned. But I um, mean, there are times when we support different candidates. We have different friends. But I just, you know, when it's a city elections especially, it doesn't take much turnout yeah. to completely swing an election. <laughs> well, you know what, what helps, and, and this is a little secret coming out, but I think you kind of know the votes you're going to get from certain neighborhoods, whether you're in Allendale or, you know, Terrytown. You can go back and, and predict based off of previous elections. If you're in an area that has low voter turnout, be it East Austin, Metopolis, it does, I'm not saying they do, but in some cases I've looked at some of the numbers and you know, what you do is you say, okay, well, you know, the pundits are probably predicting that we're only going to, you know, come out at our typical X rate, right? So if we can double that, which might only turn into 600 votes, 500 votes, then you're just calling cousins. Mm-hmm. And you're like, hey, you know what? We need to bring out five, 600 votes. And literally a lot of the city elections have been won by 1,600 votes or 1,000 votes. Right. So in that sense, you know, it takes a lot of work and you're not trying to swing election, an election, rather... You're trying to rally people behind a, a particular candidate that you feel strongly about, you know, because, you know, if, if somebody calls us and says, please help me win, we're still going to ask the same questions. Right. Well, yeah. Why should you deserve to win and what are you going to do for the community? Mm-hmm. So, but if we have somebody that's really strong, we'll rally. Did you have anybody uh, notable in, in local politics? I know uh, a lot of community leaders within sure. your family and business leaders, but in politics? Um, the, yeah. The biggest one was John Trevino. Uh, John Trevino was the first Hispanic city councilman in Austin. He was also um, mayor pro tem. Mayor pro tem, yeah. Mayor pro tem, the first Hispanic mayor pro tem. And so that was a big deal for our family and for, you know, for John's family. He's Trevino as well. But, um, you know, in, yeah, I think, I think all of the family holds that in high regard. And he was first elected 72-ish? When 72, was 73, I think. Yeah, and almost at the same time, Richard Moya was elected yep. uh, to county commissioner and... There was a lot of breakthrough during yeah, that period. Yeah, I mean, those, you know, those guys, uh, Gonzalo Barrientos, you know, running for at that time, I think, the state house. I mean, he'd have to confirm that, but I think it was state house. But they were already activists, you know. Yeah, yeah. John was, Senator Barrientos was, so was, you know, Commissioner Moy. I mean, all of them were already, you know, activists in the neighborhood. And not just them, there were other major activists. Sure. You know, again, I, I'll leave names out because I, didn't, I wasn't born in that era, but, but there are a lot of families, a lot, that were very instrumental. You and I have talked about because you've given me a lot of insight into uh, the way a lot of the community works and worked. And there were leaders in the business community and your family were among them and your grandfather and so forth. They were the 
not the community organizers necessarily, but they were kind of pre-civil rights leaders of the community. Is that a, a correct way to put it? I'll be careful of how I say this because, you know, again, because I wasn't around, I think what I've learned and heard and talked to, you know, different family members that are older, there were always activists and there were good activists. There were people yeah. that were, you know, I mean, weren't making a whole lot of money in their job, but yet, but yet had to make sure that their kids were getting a good education, make sure that we didn't have water filling up in East Austin because there were no gutters. So guess what? It would flood every time it would rain. And so they were fighting for basic services, right? right? So you had a lot of great activists, you know, and, and, you know, one of the people I failed to mention in the conversation we had before, like civil rights wise was, you know, Pete Rivera, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've known Mr. Rivera only a very short time, but, but from his time, you know, I've heard so many good things about his activism. There were a lot of other people that I don't know that were also involved in, in that type of activism. I think where the business community came in was, and I mentioned this before, was people like my cousin Alex, people like my grandpa from the cleaners and people, you know, um, uh, Roy Velasquez from Roy's Taxi. There were a number of Ernestine Galindo from El Galindo. I mean, you could arguably say that they were all helping in their own right, whether it was helping a local school, you know, Johnston mm-hmm. or Go Valley or Brook Elementary, et cetera, Allen Junior High, or a local softball team. Or if they said, hey, you know, so-and-so is running for office. You gave him 100 bucks. It was a big deal, you know, in those days because we didn't have access to money. And so what we had access to was people, people that could put up signs. But if you didn't have money to buy the signs, it's like, well, let's rally to get enough signs and let's just go around the neighborhoods. And they had this loudspeaker they would put on the back of a truck <laughs> and they would literally go through the neighborhoods. Oh, that's old school. Yep. And they would, <laughs> they would you know, talk about their campaign. So wow. um, you did what you, you could. And I think the business community probably came in more from that front of just lending whatever hand they could or because they were a central gathering place as customers came in. If you did have a sign there, they were one of the few Hispanic-owned businesses at that time that that you knew where you could pretty much run into everyone. Lonnie, for the sake of time, let, let's uh, let's wrap this up for this episode. Sure. We, try, we try to keep them nice little bite-sized, yeah, like listen-to-on-your-commute kind of nuggets, but uh, we have so much more to talk about. Let's do uh, it. It's Lonnie Lamont. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Austin Found. The next episode will be part two. Betrayals. Thank you. Thank you.